0: It may surprise you that the latest figures from the Office of National Statistics suggest that across the UK, we are working fewer hours and have more leisure time than we did a generation ago. I was surprised when I read this, because increasingly the common response to the question, how are you doing, how's it going, is, yeah, yeah, busy. And I wonder even tonight if any of you had conversations as you came in, someone asked you about your week, yeah, yeah, busy. The figures are deceptive, though. The number of people who work over 48 hours a week is going up. And developments in communication technology have blurred the lines between what is work time and what is uh, you know, elsewhere, home. With six out of 10 workers doing some form of work-related communications, whether that's emails or phone calls and so on, outside of working hours. A recent study found that two-thirds of employees feel they just don't have enough time in their working life to do everything that is expected of them. And the number of workdays which are lost due to stress, depression, and anxiety has increased apparently by a quarter in the last five years. It's not just work that's occupying our time. According to Ofcom, the average UK adult now spends almost eight and three-quarter hours a day using media and communications, more time than they spend sleeping. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life to the full, but I'm not sure that's quite what he had in mind. It's evident that busyness is endemic in our culture, and life is busy for us all, and that is as true inside the church probably as it is outside the church. I know that many of you have highly demanding jobs, and you invest hours in other things, family things, and raising, caring for children, caring for elderly relatives, and so on, and on top of that, many of you here serve faithfully in different areas of ministry in the life of the church. All that you do here amounts to around three and a half thousand volunteer hours a week. That's a staggering amount of time and investment, and we are so grateful to all of you who invest your time and commit in that way to the life of the church. Many of us meet God actually through serving, and I'm certainly not encouraging any of us to stop investing that time in the life of the church. And nor am I suggesting that anyone with a demanding job, with family responsibilities and other things which are filling their time, or just simply have very busy lives, I'm not suggesting that we should in any way feel guilty. But this evening I would like to encourage us just to take a step back for a moment and to refocus. In a culture that is characterized by busyness, even in the midst of serving God, it can be easy for God to get squeezed out of our life. If we don't make time to engage with God, it can feel that God is somewhat distant, and we can feel I'm not really connecting, I'm not really feeling him speak to me. We may begin to stagnate in some areas of our lives, including growing in that relationship we have with him. Rather than thriving in our Christian life, we find ourselves simply surviving. And we would do well to make room for more of God in our daily walk with Him. And sometimes we just need to make a small adjustment in order to refocus on that. In recent weeks I've been using a little book uh, written by Pete as a devotional, daily devotional book, 40-day journey, and it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. And I found it really, really helpful. And having finished it, I've just started it again. I went back to page one, and I'm reading it now, reading the chapter that it's applying. Each week has a chapter of this book, which I've recommended to you before, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. I think this is about the best book I've read in many, many years. I highly recommend, if you don't yet have it, that you get it. Really, really helpful. So I'm doing the two together. And earlier this week, in my devotional time, I came across, just before I ended it, Uh, a little piece which was talking about, um, well, the text for the day was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it included in there, do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Apostle Paul who wrote that phrase is referring there to the intensity of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in our lives. And the devotional section which followed it, he quoted a piece of writing by a woman called Judy Brown, which is called Fire. Let me read it to you. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces, in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and the absence of the fuel together that make fire possible. Pete Scazzaro invites his readers to consider whether we might have just too much going on in our life, too much logs, not enough space, too many logs on the fire and encourages the creation of some breathing space so that the fire of God's presence might burn more brightly uh, both in us and through us. Those of you who heard me speak at the end of, um, was it February, uh, the vision talk, the annual vision talk, if you haven't, you might like to see that on the website, may remember that I observe the difference between feeling as though God is kind of nowhere in our daily life and experiencing him in the present really is quite fascinating. When it feels like God is nowhere, like he's not speaking to us, are we really connecting, I'm not really sure in my daily life and walk with him whether you know, he's really there in a meaningful way, it simply involves the creation of a little bit of space to notice that he is now here in the present moment. He could be speaking, he could be pointing out an opportunity for us, a divine appointment to have an engagement with somebody, uh, all sorts of things. God is now, all the time, right here and waiting for us to tune into him. I doubt that I'm alone in having a pretty full schedule. Life is busy and it gets as full as I allow it to. And uh, I dislike was- wasting time because there's always stuff. To get on with, there's more emails in my inbox than I can possibly reply to. There's more work on my to do list than I can possibly get to. And so, wasting time is like, ah, I'm allergic to it. So, if I go to a supermarket, I very carefully que- uh, choose the uh, checkout that I'm going to go for, the one with the shortest queue, and I think, aha, great. So, I get in that line. And then, just as I'm getting near it, suddenly, there's a thing called a price check. Someone's like, can we have a price check for this? Like what, what are you doing? I'm watching the queue next to me, It's going much faster. If I got in that one, I would have already been walking out the shop. What am I doing wasting time? That's the way I'm wired, like as an activist and uh, an achiever. But I'm beginning to realize that God may well be speaking. And even in moments like that, he may well just be wanting to get my attention. A few weeks ago I was doing some DIY, uh, some practical project in the house and I just needed something from B&Q so I thought i would just nip out, it's 10 minutes drive from our home to B&Q. So off I went and uh, the traffic just got into a jam just as the central reservation prevented me turning around. So I sat in this traffic jam, seemingly fairer, and it was because the A52 had been closed due to an incident. So at that roundabout, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go down that lane, a lane I know quite well. And uh, that would bring me back, no problem. So I went down the lane, which was evidently very clear, until I got to the corner. As I rounded the bend, I discovered about another 1,000 people had had the same idea. And we were now on a lane which has a a traffic light at the end of it, which just lets a few cars out each time. So it was an hour and a quarter to get to B&Q. Now I rolled my window down. And began to notice stuff that I would not otherwise have noticed. So the fields, the rapeseed oil fields, the yellow fields were in full bloom. And as I rolled that window down, the perfume just came off those fields. And that's a smell that some of you probably have never smelled because you are what is known as a cager, that is, someone who drives a car. If you're a cyclist or a walker or a motorcyclist, you know what those fields smell like because you're, you know, just it's a wonderful experience. So I sat there in my car experiencing that and just began to thank God for His creation. As I'm sitting on this lane, a lane that I've ridden many times on my bike, I'd never looked at the houses, I'm always very focused on the road, but uh, just looking at the architecture down there, these houses, beautiful houses, and really, really stunning stuff, and I began to actually thank God for the you know, creativity that He has given to architects. And so that hour and a quarter journey, whilst you could say that over an hour of it was completely wasted time, actually I found myself just engaging on a, on a whole new way, in terms of you know, just this piece of space that was forced upon me and created in my life. And it struck me that I am changing. God is doing a rewiring in my life. He's slowing me down and drawing me to more intentionally take advantage of those gaps in my generally fast-paced schedule. Today we're gonna to continue with this theme of making room for more, and I'll be drawing on a couple of talks from a friend of mine, Rich Nathan who leads a church in America, on how just exploring how we make room for more of God and grow in spiritual maturity so that we don't become overwhelmed by just the stuff of life and lose sight of Him. The Bible offers us encouragement on how we might stay on course, and this evening we'll be looking at a passage from the second letter uh, the Apostle Peter wrote to the early Christians. We're in chapter 1, And verses 3 to 9 if you've got a Bible with you it's about a millimeter from your back cover otherwise do you turn to if you'd like to on your device otherwise the screen will show it it begins in verse 2 just before grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord his divine power has given us everything we need for our godly life through for a godly life, through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if any of you do not have them, you're short-sighted and blind, you've forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. To grow in spirituality and spiritual maturity, we're first of all encouraged to consider our need for God. This passage speaks directly to those of us who feel as though we we may have slowed down or stopped growing in our relationship with God by suggesting that we nurture this set of qualities, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And then it says here in verse eight, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was writing to believers here, and he reminds us that whether we're exploring Christianity and we're on those first initial steps of a relationship with God, or whether we've been following Jesus for many years, we have all felt ineffective at times when it can feel as though faith really is not making a great deal of difference in our life. Ineffective and unproductive, that word can also be translated unfruitful. You know, we may have chosen to follow Jesus, but we're yet to see much fruit in our life, you know, evidence of that, the fruit that we perhaps were hoping for. Or perhaps you're here today and you, you know, really don't know what you think about Jesus, but you're looking to find some answers because you feel in some way ineffective, unproductive in life, and you're convinced there must be more to life than you're currently experiencing, and I would affirm that very much is the case. This passage reminds us that without God, all our methods of trying to achieve the kind of abundant life that Jesus, ho- Jesus offers are gonna be ineffective and unfruitful. Our solo efforts are doomed to failure. Even when we spend time on good things, maybe we're serving in the church, we're serving our city, serving other people, we can still be ineffective and unproductive. And the Bible's full of reminders of our need for God. If we are gonna be fruitful, effective, productive, we need to be connected to Him. It's absolutely crucial. And we find Jesus in John chapter 15 talking about the vine and branches. Branches are useless unless they're connected to the main rootstock, and it's the sap that flows from that root through the branches that produces at the end of the branch what? Fruit. And so Jesus says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. Stay connected. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." In that chapter, the word remain occurs 11 times. John clearly is wanting his readers to understand what it means to be connected to God, to dwell in His presence, to walk daily with Him, because he understood how ineffective, how unproductive and unfruitful we will be without that connection. So the first step In growing towards spiritual maturity is to acknowledge that we we may have grown somewhat stagnant and consider that without God we cannot grow in our relationship with him secondly we need to connect with God's provision verse 3 says this his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. God has already given us everything we need to know him and to grow in our spiritual lives. It's tempting sometimes to try and grow, you know, using our own willpower, to kind of strive to be a better person or to strive in our relationship with God using our sheer determination and sometimes we do need to do things, practical things in our lives and make decisions for doing the, uh, making the right thing and so on, doing the right thing. But if we try and do these things without Him, we will only get so far. And Peter describes the help that God offers us as His great and precious promises. So what are these? Well, let me give you a couple. Firstly, His promise to be with us. The passage says that God invites us to participate in the divine nature and that word participate here means to become partners with Him, with God, in His nature and in His character. And we can work in partnership with Him to cultivate lives that reflect Him and become more and more Christ like, like Jesus. And the picture that Peter is painting here is not one of rebuke, but it's an invitation. God doesn't show us a pointing finger, chastising us for not spending enough time with Him or, or not growing enough. Instead, He offers us an open hand, inviting us to walk with Him, to get to know Him better, and to partner with Him in extending His kingdom in our own lives, as well as the lives of those around us. God wants to nurture us as He spends time with us. In his book, The Fight, John White reminds us that when you become a Christian, you may boldly step into the presence of the God of eternity and hold a conversation with him. Indeed, you're encouraged to do so. Notice that you're not given permission to crawl into God's presence, but to approach him with your head held high. And secondly, we have the Holy Spirit to help. Today in the church calendar is known as Pentecost, where churches across the world remember a day 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus' followers, empowering them to be His witnesses and empowering them to live life as God designed it to be lived. And through the centuries, we are the recipients of this. God's Holy Spirit is poured out upon us even today. He has resonance in our life and uh, He's here to empower us and to change us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life changes us. In the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, it tells us that when we spend time, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit, the natural consequence of that will be fruit. And we'll find ourselves growing in being more loving. Indirectly, not by trying to love more or be more loving, but love. We'll find ourselves more joyful, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, and more self-controlled. In the same way that we spend a lot of time with any particular person, we start to pick up their mannerisms. I don't know whether you've noticed, perhaps couples who've been together and you think, my goodness, use the same phrases, the same words, the same intonations. You, you, You can tell that these guys are together because the more you spend time with someone in an intimate relationship, the more like that person you tend to become. As we make time to, time in God's presence, He will transform us and He will grow us. So to grow in spiritual maturity we need to connect with those things that God has promised to provide for us, to help with that. It says that uh, bad company corrupts good character. That's true, the people you spend time with. It's also conversely true that good company you know, enhances good character, It builds us up, and I'll I'll mention more about that in a moment, about the church. We are confident that with God's help, uh, we are confident, sorry, that God will help us, and so we can commit to growth. This is verse five. For this very reason, make every effort, To add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. We are encouraged to make every effort to grow. He repeats that phrase again a couple of verses later, make every effort. It can be tempting to think to ourselves, you know, all I need to do is accept Jesus and I'm going to grow without acknowledging that there's two parts to this. There's God's part and there's also our part. We also need to play our part in our spiritual growth. When Peter advises us to add to our faith, he's encouraging us to be proactive in faith as we deepen our relationship with God. Sometimes that will be a challenge. Spiritual growth, like any kind of growth, doesn't always come easy and uh, at times it can feel like like we're like a, a salmon swimming upstream against the current, and we're having to make every effort to make progress, and at the point that we stop doing that, we can easily be pulled back by the current. There really is no standing still in the Christian life. We're either making every effort, and with God's help advancing, or we're probably slipping back and stagnating. So we're encouraged to keep moving forward, to make every effort in our spiritual lives. And as we've already seen, God offers us everything we need to grow in spiritual maturity. So when Peter encourages us to make every effort, he's not asking us to struggle on our own, in our own strength, but to diligently and conscientiously take up God on his desire to work with us and to be intentional about cooperating with what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification. That's just a long Christian word which means changing us to become more like Jesus the fruit in our life like I just mentioned from Galatians 5 becoming more and more evident through the Holy Spirit's work and our cooperation with that I like the message translation of the Bible this section let we just read beginning in verse 8 he writes this this is Eugene Peterson's translation of this text so don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given complementing your basic faith with good character spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus, of our Lord Jesus spiritual maturity our relationship with god is not described in the bible as a one-time only thing or something for only those very spiritual people we're all encouraged to invest in our spiritual growth whether we're just starting out on that journey of faith or whether we've been following jesus for many years paul says don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given complementing your basic faith with these qualities, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. He's not talking about committing to a particular way of praying or some, you know, particular discipleship program. There are all sorts of useful tools of which those will be too, but at the core of a biblical understanding of spiritual maturity is a focus on our qualities, actually on characteristics, how we relate to God and how we relate to others. Making room for God to grow us into spiritual maturity is not only about the things that we do, like having some quiet time with God regularly, like serving at church, like worshiping together, like being involved in a small group. Equally as important is committing in our hearts and minds to partnering with God to grow our characters, our attitudes, how we relate to God and to one another, one another. But there are things we can do to help. For some of us it might mean making some changes. One of the greatest challenges for those of us who lead full and busy lives is making time in our schedule actually to pray or to engage with the Bible, read it or listen to it. Some people are really natural at spending time with God. They're kind of wired that way. Other people are more active and uh, find it more difficult to to find that time. to. You know, some people need to, sorry, let me just see what it says in the sentence. Who wrote these notes anyway? Some of us need to be more proactive to deliberately, I did, to deliberately plan in time with God or to develop routines which remind us to do so. I'm not good at making time first thing in the morning. I hate alarm clocks. I'm allergic to them. So I have to find other times in the day when I you know, can engage with God more in a focused way. And I have the flexibility in my working life to allow me to do that. So most days I do spend some time in my study. And as a general rule, whether that's first thing in the morning or whether that's I've been in meetings all day and I get there late in the afternoon or even early evening, the first thing I tend to do when I get in my study is head not for my desk chair but for my armchair. And before I get into emails, before I get into other tasks, I try and spend some time engaging with the Bible and praying. We're all different. Not all of you have the flexibility in your working schedules that I do. Not all of you have a leather armchair in your study and, uh, and so on. But, you know, finding something. A part of growing in our spiritual maturity is recognizing what does work for us. It won't be the same as me. Your life is not the same. If, you're no, if you know that you're someone who doesn't naturally make time to pray, it may help to put a regular slot in your diary to help you carve out that space. Maybe a reminder in your phone that goes, beep, oh yes, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to actually engage (laughs) with God. It's a reminder, I, I need to pray. Some of us may need to remove some things from our life in order to make room for more of God. Maybe giving up something comfortable Uh, or enjoyable, like our bed, for example, if we're going to be getting up early and spending time to pray then, or it might be spending less time on social media or watching television. Finding a time which works for you to spend with God. And it's not that any of these things which consume our time are bad in themselves, but we need to realize that investing time in our spiritual lives is much more important than those other things. And you may think, you know, I'm just a busy, I'm so busy, I don't really have time to read the Bible, I don't really have time to pray regularly, but I will just check my Facebook feed, and oh, look at that, on America's Got Talent, a nine-year-old ventriloquist, this is awesome. And then you watch that thing, and it's longer than you thought, and then, I don't know whether your phone does this, but then the next video comes up, it's say, like, oh my goodness, a magician, this is fantastic. And you may not realize until you look at your watch, like an hour and a half has just gone. That's more time than you spent in the whole week, perhaps, praying and reading your Bible, but somehow social media just robs us of time so easily. Committing to growth takes time and prioritizing it over other things. Sometimes it can feel easier than others, and as I say, my work schedule, it varies hugely. The week before last, I was away for almost all the week, five days, and the first few were with the Vineyard National Team, We were in Northern Ireland together, and then the last couple of days with Trent's leadership team here, we were away uh, at a cottage. And while a lot of the time during those five days was actually focused on God stuff, we were talking God business and we were worshiping together, we were praying together, the truth was that I actually found it really hard to find time alone with God. You know, I'd wake up and my first thoughts perhaps would be a prayer and talking to God, and I may have checked in at some point during the day but to be quite honest with you i I got to the end of that week and i thought oh my goodness i've let this habit slip i haven't really engaged in reading the bible and uh, not really engaged in in any real focus prayer time so so this week this past week i've just focused a bit more on my relationship with god and i find it quite helpful to see you know my relationship with god like a relationship with someone who's close to me my wife debbie and it's not that I have to spend 20 minutes at 7.30 in the morning you know, with her and then go off and do my day. It's not that I have to do that. Uh, there will be weeks when I spend time every day with her. right? Or there may be times when for a few days we don't get to connect that much. And When that happens, it's important for me to make sure that we spend a longer amount of time together in the days that follow. So the relationship kind of breathes and the time together breathes. It's a relationship, not a legalistic rule. And it's okay for time reading the Bible and praying to vary day to day as long as we don't drift into not connecting very much, as long as that, you know, just touching base occasionally doesn't become our norm and our pattern for life. That is the danger of not having a routine. Some of you are brilliant at having a routine of time with God, I'm not, but uh, if you find that without a daily routine, your relationship with God is not getting the time it needs to keep you spiritually alive and vitally connected. I really would encourage you to get a routine and stick with it because habits form and it's much easier than than just drifting through life because the tendency is always to have it squeezed out, time with God squeezed out by a million other important things. When it's hard, or it feels like you're really going nowhere, it might be helpful to celebrate what God has done. In verse 9 it says, But if any of you have, do not have these qualities, you are short-sighted and blind. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. When we stop investing in our spiritual lives, we're in danger of growing short-sighted, when we cannot see things clearly unless they're right in our face, close up. And in these times, God can begin to feel distant. Our spiritual eyesight fades. We begin to forget what God has done for us. One way of combating spiritual blindness and forgetting what God has done is to remember and celebrate. That's something we do regularly here at Trent. If you were here a couple of Sundays ago, you would have heard some wonderful testimonies of some people being baptized. That's a way that we celebrate what God is doing among us. As a staff team, a couple of times a month we get together and we share stories of things that God is doing in all the various areas of ministry around the church, and we're really mutually encouraged by that. They say, yes, God is alive, God is active, and it, it keeps us from the thing that's in front of our face, which is the tasks of the day. We can continually refocus our attention away from the daily routines and back onto the spiritual reality of what God is doing. And as we bring those things to mind, being thankful is just a brilliant anecdote uh, for forgetting, and brilliant, uh, sorry antidote, I should say, to becoming short-sighted, only seeing what's in front of our nose. Great antidote to the blindness that can come upon us, not seeing what God is doing, and forgetting what God has done in our lives and the lives of those around us. I know some of us here today are facing very real, very challenging times. You may feel there is very little for you to celebrate. Or you may be here asking, where is God? You know, when life has not turned out the way that you wanted it to, that's a very legitimate, it's a very real question. You're not alone. There are many people in this church who have experienced and are experiencing great suffering, and the Bible is also full of examples of people facing very difficult challenges. But as we've already seen, God gives us all we need to grow into maturity, including giving us the strength to endure suffering. We sometimes expect life to be fair, because after all, God is fair, but that's not always the case. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. The great news is, but take heart because I've overcome the world. But this is gonna be the reality, trouble, difficulty. Spiritual maturity comes when we recognize that life is not God. God is always good, even in those times when life is not. That doesn't mean that we ignore the hard times or try to pretend that everything's fine when it isn't. We stand together as a church family when we go through hard times and we support one another and we love one another. As hard as it sometimes is to celebrate what God has done, it is so important in helping us get a perspective, especially in difficult times. A member of our staff team shared this example with me recently, and this is what she wrote. She said, a few summers ago, I went for a walk with some friends in the Welsh hills. The ground was very rocky, and I hadn't brought the right shoes with me, so I was looking down at my feet, carefully watching every step. It was not until I paused and looked up that I realized both how far we had come and quite how beautiful the views were. At the time, I was feeling frustrated with my spiritual life and I felt God's nudge that sometimes I focus too much on what is in front of me and forget to take in the view and see how far He has already brought me. When we celebrate what God has done, it can help us to refocus on Him. And finally, we would do well to come together in community. All of us are affected by those around us. Uh, Research has shown that there is a strong link between the extent to which people feel part of a community and their physical and their mental health. And we take on behaviors, as I said earlier, of those around us. If the people around us pray, then probably we will find ourselves praying. If they read their Bible, probably we will. And so we, we get to affect each other positively, positively as a community. We're designed to live this way. We're not supposed to be solo in our relationship with God. We're designed to live in community. That's what the word church encompasses that, the local church. It's vital for every Christian to be part of a church. Someone said to me recently, uh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian you don't if you want to be like a really lukewarm christian who does not have a very vital relationship with god but if you do you do well to be in a church where others can spur you on in love good deeds in your relationship with him we would encourage you to be here on sunday it's great that you are today but just as a habit of life it, my habit of life would be if i'm in nottingham i'm in church and i really would encourage you to uh, pursue that. And also a small group, if you're not in a small group, I really would encourage you to head over to Connect and explore getting involved. Just doing life with a small group of people is so vital. There's no better way of committing to growth than joining with others on the same spiritual journey. Next couple of weeks, there'll be talks relating to this, making room for more and deeper relationships. And I would encourage you to be here to hear those, but if you miss them, perhaps on the website, check them out. Community is a vital part of our spiritual growth. So as we think about what it means to make room for more of God and grow in spiritual maturity, these five principles will help us to grow more into the people that we are designed to be. In his book, Simplify, Bill Hybels says this, simplified living is more than doing less, it is being who God called us to be, with a wholehearted, single-minded focus. It is walking away from innumerable lesser opportunities in favor of the few to which we've been called and for which we have been created. It's not about doing less or doing more. It's about allowing God to shape our lives as we consider our need for God, connect with God's provision, commit to growth, celebrate what God has done, and come together in community. I'd love to assure you that if you are feeling ineffective or unproductive or simply wanting to get to know better committing to make room in your life for God will grow to grow you will <laughs> I can assure you that if you are feeling ineffective or unproductive or simply wanting to know God better committing to making more room in your life for God to grow you will lead to results you cannot achieve in any other way God wants us to know him better and he will do everything give us everything we need to do just that and today is an invitation to take him up on that offer